I'm excited to share with you all that I've contributed a chapter to the newly published Anxiety Relief Handbook. The handbook provides a unique window into 11 highly effective complementary therapies for you to sample on your quest to ease anxiety. The ebook is available on my website, happynurse.com.au forward slash anxiety relief handbook. Your body's not static. It ebbs and flows and changes depending on what's going on in your life, what you're eating or not eating, what stresses you're under, like what's happening in your world. But I think there's a normal amount of, oh, that's just what my body's doing right now. Welcome to the Happy Nurse Podcast. Nurses are the backbone of healthcare, always there to care for strangers as if they were one of their own, often forsaking special moments with their own family in order to ensure another's loved one is being cared for. As nurses, self-care is essential. I am Elena Mullery, nurse educator and self-care mentor for nurses. I'm an RN with 20 years of clinical experience. I have first-hand experience of stress and burnout. It was this experience which led me to develop a passion for personal development and pursue the study of mindfulness, meditation, hypnotherapy and neuro-linguistic programming. Each episode, I will be promoting self-care strategies to those who always care for others. I have broken self-care down into five aspects mental, emotional, physical, spiritual and indulgence to make it easy to ensure all your self-care needs are being met. Each episode I will interview nurses and self-care gurus from around the world to help you with each aspect of your self-care. Welcome to the Happy Nurse Podcast with Elena Mullery. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Happy Nurse Podcast. I'm Elena, as you all know, and today I am joined again by my beautiful friend, Michelle Powell. Now, Michelle is a seasoned guest on the show. You are all getting to know and love her as well as I do. And I just love the conversations that we have when Michelle and I get on the podcast together. Today, we are bringing you an episode on body image. Now, the past couple of episodes Michelle and I have recorded... We've touched on the body image issue and we've realized that it's probably a whole big topic on its own. So here goes. Welcome back, Michelle. Thanks, Elena. I always love our conversations and this topic's pretty near and dear to my heart. So I'll be interested to see what we unpack today. Yeah, I know. Who knows where this is going to go? I was like laughing before we started recording. I've written some bullet points down just to keep us on track. Because yeah, who knows what tangent will go down and what verbal road trip we'll take. <laughs> but that's the beauty of our conversations and the magic's in there just waiting to come out. So that's why I love having you on the show. We get to unpack these awesome things together. So body image is something that I think... <laughs> probably most of the population struggle with in some capacity or another. I haven't met anyone yet to this day that doesn't have something that they are hung up about, about their body. And I know I've battled it for a long, long time. Um, And I recently shared 
on the podcast, Michelle and I recorded about trauma responses, where I realized recently a lot of my body image issues came from. And the outpouring of support I got after that was quite overwhelming. And I think it really resonated with a lot of you. So yeah, Michelle and I decided that this deserved a whole episode to itself. So here we go. Here we are. And I think because this is such a complex and convoluted topic as well, I feel like we'll go down rabbit holes but potentially only scratch the surface on how this really impacts people in such astronomical ways. Yeah, because it may not be so obvious to the listeners that it's body image issues that are causing the issues in their life. These can be belief systems that you've got in place subconsciously that you don't even know are there, but they're holding you back because it's that feelings of not being good enough. You know, my body isn't good enough. You know, we all speak about the bikini body and as if that's the norm, whereas it's not really at all. The average Australian female is not a size eight. You know, she's more fuller figured than that. So it's all these pressures we put on ourselves and they they crop up in lots of different areas of our lives. Absolutely. And so maybe we can even start with sharing some of our own personal journeys with body image. Elena, I know you've started a little bit of sharing your story. What would you like to maybe kick us off with some sharing today? I was thinking about this earlier and I was trying to work out when it all started for me. And I think growing up when I was really young, I got into dancing at a very early age. I think I was two or three and I went to baby ballet and then progressed through. I did ballet, I did tap, I did modern And then when I was six, I found Highland. And if you've listened to any of the other episodes, you'll know how passionate I am about Highland dancing and how it was a love of mine for a long time. But in that culture of dancing, there is a huge amount of pressure on how you look. And I think that maybe planted the first seeds in my mind of how the way I look was maybe more important than other aspects of my personality or my intellect. Mm, yeah, dancing such an interesting pastime and also profession as well because there is so much of that got to be aesthetically pleasing. I never got into dancing, but from a lot of friends and family and people that I know, it's definitely been something where it's added to this pressure to look and be a certain way. Yeah, and I'm not dissing the dancing world at all. I'm just merely highlighting that because of that pressure, it's put on you to look a certain way. It does start to embed those subconscious belief systems in Mm. in our minds. And so what happened for you with that? I was always quite happy with my body shape until at 13, I stopped dancing as much because I gave up the competitive aspect. And when I was competing, I was dancing four or five days a week. And I went back down to just dancing once or twice because 
I wanted to get a job. I had a part-time job in a florist. So that took up my weekends and my dancing had to go. And when I gave up dancing, I started to put weight on. It was also, I was 13, 14, you know, I was hitting puberty. So that had an impact on me too. But I, yeah, I very quickly put on quite a few kilos because I just wasn't as active. And that's when I really started to become aware that I had a bigger body frame than a lot of my peers. And my mom at the time, love her to bits, she she was always on diets as well. So I was growing up in this household where she was aware of her body and had well, what she perceived were issues, you know, she was dieting. And like my grandma, she was a dancer as well. She's always had comments to make about my weight and my appearance. But I think that goes back to her days of dancing too, because it had been ingrained in her as a young woman. So passed on those pressures and expectations. Yeah, and it's all done from a place of love. Like, there's no malice in it at all, but it's just subtly seeped into my subconscious to the point that still to this day, I'm 40. You know, I haven't danced now for, I did go back to it briefly after I had my youngest for a few years, and I was in really good shape again then. And then I gave up and the weight snuck back on. So, yeah, and still to this day, I am a bigger girl. I'm a size 16, and I I do compare myself to younger, not younger, smaller versions of women my age. But it's something that is a constant work in progress for me, and I'm learning to be happy with this body that I'm in and to love it rather than to shame it and guilt it into submission. Mm. And I think that's an ongoing learning and relearning and revisiting (laughs) (laughs) because there seems to be more and more layers of it. And, And, you know, our bodies aren't static. They don't just get to a certain weight or a certain shape and then stay there. They constant ebbs and flows with, everything that happens in life. So I think it's almost interesting from my curious point of view and the way my nature is, it's like, why do we expect our bodies to stay at this quote unquote perfect weight and perfect shape when we know that there's naturally going to be shifts and changes? Yeah, definitely. And I have lost weight many times but I always bounce back to this roundabout the way I am right now. And it just, it seems to be my body's happy place, Mm. but I'm not always happy about it. If that makes sense, because some days I'll have issues. Other days I won't. I think it also depends where I am in my cycle without oversharing, you know, like how much water I'm retaining because we do our bodies. They're cyclical, especially female bodies with menstruation. And 
but they do change on a daily basis. And some weeks of the month, we will retain more fluid than others. And I'm hitting that menopausal stage now. So I'm naturally going to start collecting extra body weight because of that too. So yeah, it's just, I think it's a big part of it for me has been learning to love my body and the shape that it is. And instead of thinking about going on diets and denying it, just giving it the love and the health and the nutrition that it needs to keep it strong Mm. and healthy. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know why maybe the listeners will have a bit of a laugh at this one. I used to love Garfield as a kid, like all of the Garfield books and just anything Garfield, loved him. And there's Garfield quote, because for any of you that used to watch Garfield or read Garfield, he was obsessed with lasagna. Yeah. He used to say, diet is die with a T. It sure (laughs) is. So when you diet, it means you're going to (laughs) die. You feel like you're dying sometimes. Depends what level of deprivation you're putting your body through, doesn't it? Well, that's it. It's like it's a lot of deprivation. And something that I contemplate with this whole body image thing and needing to be perfect and accepted and lovable and good enough and all of these labels that we place on ourselves. However, I've never once loved someone more or less because of what they weigh or what their body's doing at that time. Like if someone's in my life and I love them, I don't care what their weight is. Like I see who they they are for their heart, for their mind, for their personality, not how much the scales tell us someone is or isn't. That's just gravity anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'm exactly the same, but I think unfortunately there is a school of thought out there that your supposed worth, I mean, we're all worthy. We're all beautiful. We're all enough at our core. It's just the stories we tell ourselves, but a lot of us are telling ourselves the story that we're not good enough if we don't fit into this box that the media has made that we should all fit into to be perfect and normal. I mean, even these photos we see, you know, on social media and magazines, even like in movies now, they're all airbrushed. None of it's natural. Like we're fighting an impossible fight to win. Like it's not real. It's yeah. It's such an interesting There's a a comparison to something that doesn't even exist in the first place because, like you said, it's all airbrushed and touched up and tweaked and pulled and this and that, and it's not the reality. No, it's not the reality. And I think it's really interesting when suddenly, like every once in a while, there'll be some post that goes viral and it's usually of a woman and you see the rolls in her stomach, you know, and most women will resonate with it because that's what we all look like when we sit down. Nobody's got a washboard stomach when they sit down, but the pictures that we see in the media would have us believe that 
we can have this washboard stomach even when we're sitting. Yeah, and that there must be something wrong with you if you don't look like the supposed ideal. What we've got to remember, and this is for males and females, there is a multi-billion dollar industry out there that's feeding off your fears and your insecurities about your body. And when you understand the subconscious mind after studying things like NLP, you understand how this is infiltrating your psyche and influencing your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, and how you feel about yourself. They're not there to help like you think they are. They're here, they're there to sell their product at the end of the day. And if they can tap into your insecurities to do that, they're going to do it, being honest. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. If we all woke up tomorrow and didn't care what we looked like, that industry would go under very quickly. Exactly. And thanks for sharing your personal stories there too, Elena. That's okay. There's more to it, but yeah, I'm happy to share that just now and we can delve into mine more in a minute. Awesome. Would you like to share your journey? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to share my journey and, you know, in having conversations with, with yourself, prior to today I've realized I haven't fully shared my journeys with eating disorders and so perhaps something that I can offer today that may even resonate more than sharing advice and tips and things like that can be actually sharing the depth of what I experienced in my own personal life. So for me, and I don't even think I've shared a lot of this with you yet, Elena. (laughs) Well, I'm very grateful that you are sharing it with me and that you feel comfortable to do so. I think for me, I know when I listen to people's stories, that's what resonates the most. Like I, I love when people put down their vulnerability armor and just share from a really honest, open place. And I feel pretty cold to do that today. So I'm going to share my my journey and I don't know exactly how long that'll take or how shallow or deep we'll go, but let's just see how it unfolds. I started developing eating disorders when I was about 13. So a little bit of background prior to that, I grew up in a really tumultuous household, domestic violence, all the rest of it, you know, pretty scary place for a young child to to grow up in. And myself being the eldest, I had this self-imposed belief that I also needed to look after and protect my younger sister from anything and everything. I think a lot of siblings do feel like that. They feel a bit of responsibility that, you know, it's kind of like brothers 
growing up, they're quite happy to beat each other up. But if anybody else tries anything, you're in trouble. (laughs) Yeah, most definitely. (laughs) So it was when I started high school that it began to appear. And, you know, I've always been a, a slender person. Like I'm pretty tall for a chick and, you know, my grandparents used to always even comment on how I'm just all leg because that's that's literally all I am. My body is wildly disproportionate. <laughs> I'm literally just walking legs. And, and so I was always lean, always little, always, you know, I was, I grew up on, I'm a country girl. I grew up on farms. I was horse riding. I was running around vineyards and property and, always active. And so it wasn't until I got to high school and high school was just a really weird time for me personally, because I wasn't a part of the cool kids, but I wasn't a part of the losers either. You know, sorry for any labels that might trigger anyone, but it is what it is. (laughs) I kind of floated somewhere in the middle and I watched these, what I thought were beautiful girls and obviously they were older than me and there was so much bullying and so much intimidation and just cruel, like these clicky, horrific groups of girls and I started to dislike myself and I think it was a combination of experiencing what was going on at home to bullying and things like that that were going on at school that I started to diet. I wanted to be beautiful. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be loved and because I've got more than two brain cells in my mind, (laughs) I came up with really interesting ways of hiding what I was doing because while it started at around 13, throughout my entire high school journey, it got worse and worse and worse. And I definitely experienced both anorexia and bulimia and it wasn't until down the track that also diagnosed with body dysmorphic disorder and it was sneaky things that I used to do to make people think I was still eating so for example in the mornings getting ready for school While my mum was having a shower, getting ready to take us kids to school, I used to pretend I was eating breakfast by putting a couple flakes of like cornflakes or whatever into a bowl with a couple drops of milk and stick it in the sink because mum always liked to soak everything before we put it in the dishwasher. So she would then think I'd eaten breakfast because there was something soaking in the sink. Mm. And I would give away lunchbox foods and stuff that, you know, we were taking to school with us to my friends or I'd chuck it in the bin. 
so there's lots and lots of ways that I was hiding what was going on, which is, you know, pretty horrific as a teenager, but there was definitely in my experience with the high school that I was in, and I know that this happens an awful lot, like girls are really fucking horrific with the way they treat one another and the way they bully and intimidate. And I don't think I had the backbone and the strength back then because of what was happening at home to be able to really manage it. And so it all came out in in my body shape, in my body image and wanting to be loved and beautiful and accepted. And so by the time I was about 18, 19, that was when I was definitely at my lowest weights and also just, I think, emotionally at my worst as well. So I think I've shared with you guys before, I'm 5'7", like I'm tall for a chick. And I was weighing in at about 40 kilos. Wow, Michelle. I'm also 5'7", so, and I'm 90 kilos, so that's like I can't imagine ever being 40. You were very slim. Yeah, yeah, and me at my natural weight now, I waver between, you know, 56 to 61 kilos. So I was a good 20 kilos less than what a healthy weight for me is. And I didn't know it at the time, but I, in hindsight, had friends tell me down the track that when we'd go out and meet people, people were asking them if I was okay, if I was sick, because I must have looked horrific because I was gaunt, there was nothing of me. And I think I had in my head, like I remember so distinctly, I used to weigh myself all of the time. And it was like every time I weighed myself, the scales could tell me whether I was worthy or not. And it was like I was waiting for some magic number to tell me when I'd be lovable, when I'd be beautiful, when I could be acceptable and when I could really be me. And then every time I lost more weight, and the scales would go down and I still didn't have these feelings of satisfaction or happiness, then I would adjust the goal accordingly, being like, well, that must not be the magic number. And you would push it lower. Yeah, it was all, well, it's got to be lower. Well, if it's not 48, it must be 47 or 46 or 45, or like ridiculous numbers, ridiculous. And... It was about this time when I was about 18, 19, I knew that this wasn't okay and nobody knew how to help me. Like the people in my life didn't know how to help me. My then partner, he would tell me all the time that he loved me and thought I was beautiful and his answer to it was to buy me food because he wanted to encourage me to eat, which just perpetuated the problem. But I used to get so worked up about going out to dinner with friends because, oh, my God, I'd have to eat. Like there were certain situations that you'd be in that you just can't not eat. Yeah. Like there's so many social events that we go to where it's 
really, that's what you do. <laughs> it's a part of, you know, Aussie culture is we do things that are food oriented. And so I knew from my experiences with other people that they just didn't know how to handle it. And it got to the point where I'd had enough. I'm like, I don't want to live my life like this. I don't want to miss out on spending time with people that I love and doing things that I love because I feel like shit and I feel ugly and I feel unlovable. And that's actually what started my journey in the wellness industry. I wanted to fix myself. I wanted to heal myself. I wanted to not live the life that I was living. And that's what started me, started me out. I was like, I need knowledge. I need facts. I need evidence to fight against this shit in my head that's telling me that I'm not good enough. Can you remember what caused you to make that drastic decision? Yeah, I weighed myself and I think I'd put on a kilo. Like I remember it was something minuscule, but I collapsed on the floor hysterically crying. Wow. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. It was like the straw that broke the camel's back. It was like, I don't want to live my life like this. This isn't normal. And aside from that moment, there was a close friend of mine and her son summed it up beautifully. And the wisdom of children has always been something that's so profound to me because they have such an amazing way of getting to the core of things. And I just remember having this conversation with my friend and her son being there. And he was probably about 10 at the time and he, little old soul, and he looked at me and he's like, Michelle, it's like you see yourself in one of those circus mirrors that have the sides pulled back. So you, awesome. Yeah. I, oh, and you know what? That stuck with me because I was like, holy fuck, he gets it. He's like, but that's not the reality because they're just one of those clown mirrors. Yeah. What a wise little 10-year-old. This is why I love kids so much. Very wise. Thank goodness he said that to you. Yeah. And so that's actually what started me on my wellness journey, which of course was interesting in its own because I started out in the fitness industry, <laughs> which ironically is filled with drugs, both legal and illegal, filled with so many eating disorders filled with so many body image issues, filled with so much shit that's not spoken about. I can imagine, like I don't spend much time in a gym. The times I have, it's almost this unconscious shaming that goes on. Absolutely. Like you've still got to be skinny or you've got to be fit and toned. And like back then... I knew instructors that would get on stage and teach classes that were off their faces on all sorts of substances. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Like, man, I could tell you some stories about what goes on in the fitness industry alone. 
Yeah, I can. I think it goes on in most industries, to be honest. It's, yeah, exactly. And so my journey was exceptionally long in the respect that I knew that I needed to get physically well first, but that came at a cost of my mental and emotional health because I knew on the one hand I had to get healthy because my body was so unwell and I had so many health issues, especially in my early 20s. So I'd gotten healthy from a physical standpoint, but the damage to my body was extreme. And I got all sorts of chronic fatigues and immune problems and digestive problems and glandular fever and adrenal fatigue and you name it, my body went through it. And it got to the point when I was in my early to mid-20s, I'd healed physically for a few years at that point. My emotional journey took a lot, lot longer because, as you know from your own experiences, it's pretty turbulent (laughs) in your own head and it's not as linear and logical as needing to get physically well. That was actually the easy part, to get physically well. Yeah. But then saying that I had a lot of side journeys with my health and well-being, and I do think some of it, not all of it, but definitely some of it was in direct relation to the damage that my body went through with having eating disorders for a decade. And in my early 20s, I think I was probably about 24 at the time, and I'd been so unwell yet again, and this time it wasn't like glandular fever or chronic fatigue or anything like that. I was literally bedridden. I could not get from the bed to the shower to even wash myself. I was that unwell. And the doctors at the time didn't even know what was wrong with me. I was being tested for cancer, leukemia, all sorts of organ problems. I literally went through hell and back and thinking I was going to die because of what they were telling me and what they could and couldn't find as well. And that's actually what took me from the sort of mainstream, I guess, wellness care into more of a holistic approach and came across holistic health practitioners and also into personal and self-development and mental and emotional work and all of those different aspects because it all ties in together. And that led through many years of, of work And so I know that that's quite a long-winded story thus far, but I think that too frequently when people talk about eating disorders, there's this connotation that somebody wants attention or that someone's vain. 
And I know from my own experiences, the last thing I wanted was any attention. I just wanted to sink into the corner and for nobody to notice. And it definitely didn't come from vanity because my self-esteem and self-value was at rock bottom. I didn't have any. Bless you. And so while I'd physically recovered, it, like I said, it took a lot longer to recover mentally and emotionally, but I knew that it was worth it. And something that kept me going every time that it was hard and tricky, it was that if I can get through this and my story even just helped one person not go through the shit I've gone through, this is going to be worth it. And that's what led me into to coaching is through all of my health journeys and my eating disorder journeys and journeys of domestic violence and all sorts of like, man, I had someone say to me only recently, shit, you've gone through a lot of trauma in your life. And I'm like, yes. And thank fuck I have because I don't just sit here and hold space for people from a, a fluffy book smarts place, but from an open hearted, I've lived and breathed some pretty ridiculous stuff that, you know, we won't even get time to touch on because it's whole other stories. But I'm grateful for that because it's led me to the here and now. Yeah. And it, it's all these traumas that make us who we are today. Mm. And I think too with body image, there's such a just change it, just change, just change the way you're thinking. And it's not always that easy. And I had so many people tell me, you'll never get over it. You'll never like you'll have this for the rest of your life. And I'm pretty bloody stubborn and I'm also pretty tenacious <laughs> as a person. Yeah. And I was like, fuck that, I am not going to be dealing with this for the rest of my life. And I think my personality was a big part of me being able to recover and get over all of that fully on a physical, mental and emotional standpoint. You've got a beautiful big personality, Michelle, and... Thank you so much for being so vulnerable and sharing that story. It's very moving, and I'm sure the listeners are all very moved by it too. And there may even be some who resonate with what you're saying. You know, it's it's unfortunately not that uncommon for teenage girls to experience this. I remember one girl that I went to school with, she had a similar issue with food and yeah I've lost touch with her I don't know whatever happened to her but yeah I think everyone will know someone who's been on some kind of I don't want to say severe but like eating disorder like you experienced when you were a teenager yeah. Yeah. I'm just so grateful that you you found your way back to wellness. 
Yeah. And look, there's so many stories and caveats I can take with, you know, what happened to me because obviously I've tried to almost succinctly put together 10 years of eating disorders together in a short story. But I can honestly say my entire 20s were working on my mental and emotional health predominantly from, you know, that experience as well as other, lots of other things (laughs) that happened in my life, but definitely overcoming and not wanting to be stuck in that vicious cycle for the rest of my life. I'm like, I'll be damned if I live my life where I'm trapped by my own mind and by the expectations of media, other women and society at large, like I'll be damned if I'm going to let other people tell me how I am or aren't acceptable. That's going to come down to me alone. Why do you think you made that decision? You know, what made you change that thought pattern to I'll be who I want to be rather than who I think others want me to be? a super awesome question. I think a part of it is just possibly my personality construct with how returning back to type, as a close friend of mine always says, you know, who I really am. Like even as a little girl, my grandparents used to say I was super independent and strong-willed and apparently one of my first complete sentences was, I'll do it myself. (laughs) Knowing you so well, it does not surprise me, Michelle. (laughs) So even little Michelle was always little Miss Independent that was strong-willed and was going to make shit happen. So I think a part of it is just who I am. But I also think another part of it was, yeah, like I said, I didn't want to live my life that way and... And if I want change to be in the world, then I have to be that change. Like I can't expect others to show up in a changed form if I'm not doing it myself. And it's like if I'm expecting someone to change, then I need to. And so I know for me as a like especially as a teenager and a young woman in my early 20s, there was a handful, literally back then, only a handful of women in the media and that was social media wasn't a thing back then, like thank God for that. But like in movies and TV and stuff, I used to look up to women like Kate Winslet and Drew Barrymore and what I considered real women that, I thought were bloody beautiful and the media would absolutely bash and trash. And I'm like, are you kidding me? She's gorgeous. Like we, I was listening to something recently actually, and it is so powerful, the media and that era that you're talking about, you know, was Kate Winslet. I mean, remember when Titanic came out, you know, and she wasn't your average actress at that time. And But then this thing I was listening to, they pointed out that, you know, in the 90s, which is when we're speaking about, you're slightly younger than me, but 
<laughs> but the, yeah, the 90s. So probably while you were going through this, what was being portrayed in the media as pretty, as normal, as lovable, they were like anorexic drug takers. Like they were almost skeletal, some of them in their frame. It was... It's when you look back now, it's really quite shocking as to what we were being fed as the societally, societally accepted norm. Yeah, exactly. And it's exactly what you said. Like back then in the 90s and the 2000s, it was all skeletal. Like you had to be bony in order to be beautiful. Like who decided that? And I'm sorry, but I don't think I've met any man that decide that likes that either. <laughs> I know. Go figure. I mean, most men are just happy when there's a naked woman of any variety. <laughs> With some breasts and a bum. <laughs> yeah, it's really bizarre, but it just it takes us back to that our external influences and how they're creating these belief systems in our subconscious and that we are then attaching our worth to. And I also think that played a huge role as well. Like I know we just had a bit of a giggle about the male aspect there, but there is such a pressure of you will not be sexy or desirable if you don't look like this. Yeah. And I definitely know for myself, and I'm sure you've got stories to share here too, that that's played out with my romantic partners as well. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I recently shared that, you know, I was dating someone who I thought was wonderful, but he spent a lot of time in the gym. And I thought, why would he want me when he's surrounded by all these skinny gorgeous women in the gym it was a belief system that I had in my head where he wasn't even thinking about it you know he just enjoyed who I was for who I am but I was constructing stories in my mind that I wasn't good enough for him because I didn't look like the girls he was seeing in the gym yeah exactly but that story has begun somewhere and I do think this is I mean, I don't buy any magazines or any of that crap. I'm no disrespect to anyone who enjoys all of that. But I found that a healthy way of moving forward in my life was I don't need any of the BS because, I mean, when we're even talking in that romantic space and sex and intimacy with someone, like that's a really personal and and beautifully connective space, but we're also battling this connotation that, well, what if he's judging this or what if he's judging that? And, like, the reality is he probably doesn't even notice, and if he does, he probably doesn't give a shit either. Yeah, and and then when you're in your head like that, when you are in these spaces with your beloved you're taking away from the experience and you're not present with your partner like you would ultimately want to be because you're too busy in your head worrying about stuff that you think he's worrying about that actually he doesn't really care about. Yeah, exactly. And 
I'm also fully aware to any men that are listening to this too, that you guys have got your own, you know, shit that you're projected onto from media and society about how males' bodies should be too. But, like, once again, I don't think I've ever judged any of my partners like that. I couldn't give a shit. My heart's involved. Like, I really don't care. Yeah. I'm exactly the same, but there is this kind of perceived image of what handsome or sexy looks like for both a male and a female. In reality, 99% probably, I don't know the accurate figures, none of us look like that, but we've been sold this story. And yeah, I mean, guys, they experience exactly the same things as us females do. You know, it's not something that's only the the females in the world are experiencing. It's the same for the men as well. Yeah, that they're supposed to be buff or they're supposed to have like washboard abs or they're supposed to whatever, insert whatever they've been projected as well. And that's not the reality. Like I've never loved any of my, you know, past relationships that I've been in, any more or less based on what he weighed or what his abs were or weren't like. Like, my God, somebody as a person is worth so much more than that. I'm exactly the same. And I'm going to throw a question at you here, Michelle. So this crazy world that we live in now of finding a partner online via apps it has in my opinion made people very judgmental on appearances because that's the first thing you see is this picture and I know I've been guilty of it in the past you know sometimes I don't even go down and look at the profile I'm just like nope swipe left (laughs) you know but that's creating paths in our, you know, in our subconscious. It's this neuroplasticity. When we're doing that, we're making people disposable. It's just, oh, I don't know the answers, but it's just one of my frustrations I'm going to vent. And I think that's fair because I can completely understand and agree that I think just, and not even in the dating or relationships world, but just in general, I don't know if people value the people in their world maybe as much as in the past or whether it's just because there's this instant gratification society or entitlement that plays out. But, yeah, I do think there's something a little bit to do with the just swipe left or (laughs) whatever, carry on, because there's no substance to it. And I think just an image on a screen, it's like, oh, well, no one gives a shit. But then I think this perpetuates back further. I don't think we can blame dating apps for this because I don't know about you, but it goes back to like clubbing days and, you know, out in the bar and things like that. And it's like, yeah, no, I'm not attracted. So see you later. Like we, we've been disposable for a long time. I think instead of it being face-to-face as much, it's hidden. Yeah, it is. It's, it's more hidden. Mm. 
So I don't know if there's an answer to your question, so to speak, because I still I see what you're saying and I completely agree. And I don't know whether it's worse or the same, but there's definitely, yeah, a lack of care and consideration, possibly because there's no connection. Yeah, it is just a screen. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So then, and I think this is where outside of romantic capacity, like you're talking here, like even just social media in general, like you hear about trolls and online bullies and stuff like that. And as you know, like we've both had that happen to us with the content that we put out there. There's always going to be someone that takes what we say out of context or, you know, that they don't see it coming from the loving, beautiful space that it's intended. You know, anyone can make anything up. So I think that there's being hidden behind a screen allows people to say and do things that maybe they wouldn't if they were face-to-face. Yeah, definitely. And I know I've encountered some interesting messages from males as well. And I think the fact that I'm a nurse, I don't know if that adds to it because there's some people out there with, you know, fetishes and (laughs) I have had some interesting messages and I have to be very careful in the Facebook group as well because occasionally there'll be someone tries to slide in who I'm not convinced they're, Genuine. Um, yeah, they're genuine or their intentions for joining it is because they are a nurse. I think it's because they want to be exposed to a group of nurses. Because we do, in some aspects of society, we've been portrayed as this kind of nurse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, I've been sent some interesting messages over the last year, which... I just take with a pinch of salt, but it's like, as you say, people feel like they are allowed to do that. Whereas no one would knock at your door and expose themselves. Like the pictures I get sent, you know, it's like, it's like, come on. It's, yeah, exactly. Cause there's no repercussions to their actions. Not at all. The screen. And so I think this is where some of that body image stuff has perpetuated with I think both romantically and with friendships because we see what's online and I don't know about you but I've definitely come across, you know, women, they're definitely not my circle of friends, but there's definitely plenty of of women out there that will take 500 photos to get one good one. And they've got to, you know, twist and contort themselves in a certain way to make sure that they look the skinniest or they look the best or they use oodles of filters or whatever. And I think that there's two sides to it, that maybe they're afraid of judgment because of this throwaway sort of, I don't want to say society, but, you know, that sort of, there's no substance. And so they're, they're afraid of being rejected. So they want to try and be the best, but then it's perpetuating the problem. Yeah. And it's good to always try and be the best version of yourself. That's not what we're getting at here. It's this perceived image of what 
society or the media believes is best is what we're we're getting at and yeah it's things like this duck lips and the pouting and the selfies (laughs) i don't get it i've been encouraged lately to get onto tiktok because there's a huge platform for nurses on there and i'm contemplating the idea but i'm like oh it's a whole other avenue i'm opening up yeah I mean, I'll support whatever you choose, honey, but no. (laughs) (laughs) Wait till we're both doing TikTok dances and we're live, then you'll change your mind. I'm only joking. Um, I mean, you know me, I'm always dancing around like an idiot anyway. So, I mean, (laughs) it's like the norm for me, right? (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm me. But yeah, we're just, we're getting distracted now. We always are. But I think something I really want to, share with everyone when it comes to body image is when it's spoken about at large, like I alluded to before, a lot of people say it's not something that you recover from. And I really want to call bullshit on that because I'm living proof that you can physically, mentally, and emotionally recover from eating disorders and body image stuff. And I think a lot of people, I don't know if lie is the right word, but maybe false pretenses that once you recover, you never have a bad day ever again in your life. That's crap. You're still human and you're still going to go through ebbs and flows. And you're, like I said at the start, like your, your body's not static. It ebbs and flows and changes depending on what's going on in your life, what you're eating or not eating, what stresses you're under, like what's happening in your world. But I think there's a normal amount of, oh, that's just what my body's doing right now. And in fact, that's something that one of my really dear soul sisters, that's what she says to herself and is something that I've taken on board in my own world too is whatever's happening in your body, instead of browbeating yourself and trying to punish your body into submission as to how you think it's supposed to be, how about just lovingly turn to yourself and be like, this is just what my body's doing right now and this is how it's coping with what's happening in my life, and it's not forever, it's just for now, and I can lovingly nurture myself through this. That's beautiful. And I think the other thing I'd like to add to that is how we feel about our body, and I know it is for me, can be an indication of stress levels in different aspects of my life at that time. Like, say I've just met someone new and I'm going on the first early dates with them my body image voice that little critical voice in my head it ramps up because it's my insecurities that are coming up that are still there and I I know where they are now and what they're doing and why they're being triggered most of the time and I can call my bullshit on it for myself but there are specific things that happen in your life that will re-trigger these thoughts and thought processes that you have exactly it's not a something that I think you there's no quick fix I guess and that like you said there's always going to be stuff that triggers you because of these expectations or things that happen in your life 
And I love that reflection on, oh, maybe I'm really stressed right now because that's a huge one. Like the way that stress impacts your body, not just physically but mentally, is astronomical. Yeah, when we're stressed, that's when that inner critic really starts to flare up and we become very self-critical because we feel like we're not achieving what we should or we don't look like how we should or we're not turning up as we should and and then we let boundaries get pushed as well and it's a whole just a whole knock-on effect yeah so being able to recognize when it's happening and call yourself on it you can make a few changes and stop yourself going down that rabbit hole absolutely and i think this as just a general for this body image conversation, it's something that needs to be continued because there's so many roads that this conversation can go down. And I feel like we've only touched on a, a literally a couple today, but I mean, I'd almost really love to invite the listeners to comment in on maybe where else we could go with this conversation as well because I think maybe to do do it justice because men and women suffer from this in so many different ways and it impacts, you know, both your professional world and your personal life that where is it impacting you? Where do you want a light shined in a bit of a dark area that Elena and I can unpack even further for you guys? Yeah, I love that. I think there's definitely another episode in this. I mean, I'm looking at the list we made beforehand and there's still stuff on there we've not even touched. And one of them is, you know, parenting and navigating this with our children and our teens. You know, I've got a nine and a 13 year old and I'm very aware how my body image issues, if I'm not aware of them, they could impact my children because they're going to subconsciously pick up on how I'm feeling and what I'm seeing about myself. So yeah, there's, there's so much more content in here. It's a huge topic. So yeah, there'll be another episode. Let's do it. But we'd love your guys, as Michelle said, it's a brilliant idea. We'd love your guys feedback and give us some questions or share your thoughts or opinions and we'll, we'll get back to you and address them. Yeah, I love that. And I actually think that parenting conversation is probably quite complex because I know that some of my stuff came from my own experiences. Yeah, if we start down that road, we, we there might be no coming back, Elena. Pull me in, rein me in. Well, I've already mentioned it, you know, twice now about how some's come from family members of my own. And it was all, no one's done it out of malice. It's all come from a place of love. But we're just more aware now of the impact all these small comments can have subconsciously. And it's like the filing cabinet, you know, the more it's said, the thicker the file becomes and the, the further to the top of the pile it is. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's absolutely, it's a massive topic and it impacts people in in so many different ways. So we definitely want to do it justice for everyone because it just keeps coming up in, in conversations. And so, yeah, Lena and I really want to do it justice for you guys. Yeah, so you can 
look at your self-care around your body image because after all that's what the happy nurse is all about you looking after you aspects yeah well michelle it's been wonderful chatting to you i am so looking forward to recording the next installment michelle's um website and all her links to her social pages will be on the show notes for this episode is there anything else you'd like to share michelle i just feel that whatever comes up for you guys when you're listening to this today please know that you can connect with both elena and myself over it because this can be a really huge conversation it can also be quite an emotional one too so please note that Elena and I are both available for you guys for any support you might need on anything that's come up for you with listening to this conversation today. Yeah, so important to share that. Thank you, Michelle. We're always here for you. Just reach out anytime. Thank you for listening to the Happy Nurse Podcast. If you've enjoyed today's content and would like to join the Happy Nurse community, Head over to Facebook and check out the Happy Nurse AU Facebook page and request to join the Happy Nurse community. Also, check out happynurse.com.au for access to free downloads and subscription to my blog. See you soon. And in the meantime, remember to always offer yourself the same compassion that you so freely give to others. I'm excited to share with you all that I've contributed a chapter to the newly published Anxiety Relief Handbook. The handbook provides a unique window into 11 highly effective complementary therapies for you to sample on your quest to ease anxiety. The ebook is available on my website, happynurse.com.au forward slash anxiety relief handbook.